Hey, this is Sean Chiplock, the voice of Rivali, Teba, the Great Deku Tree, Mishima Yuki, Subaru Natsuki, uh, Draken, Ryuguji, and many, many others. But that doesn't matter. What does matter is that you're listening to the Points of Experience podcast. Exciting episode today. It's been a minute since we have returned as I was away doing Paul things. Uh, but today, we've got somebody on the podcast who I've been super excited about. Um, we've had his brother from Final Fantasy Crisis Core, Damon Mills, on the show previously. And today we get Sean Chiplock, the voice of Nero. He's been in Zelda... Uh, Legend of uh, the, the the Trails of Cold Steel. He's been in uh, ReZero, Octopath Traveler, um, Tactics Ogre. Uh, I'm just literally, the, look at his voice. I mean, look at his IMDb, and the list is over 200. He's just been in everything, and uh, a lot of you probably know him as the voice of D-Luke and Genshin Impact and many, many, many more. Uh, but for me, Breath of the Wild literally changed my life, in addition to Final Fantasy Crisis Core being one of my favorite games of all time. Uh, Sean is one of the most dedicated actors I've seen in this craft, someone who has really dug their claws into this industry and took every step with purpose and passion and... Uh, I, I really find him to be one of the most inspiring people, um, who, who's doing what I also happen to do. I, I really just get so excited, uh, when I see him in something, and I think this episode is one of true inspiration and positivity and enthusiasm. Uh, I have been matched in my blind enthusiasm for loving what we get to do, playing pretend, making voices, and uh, creating compelling characters and telling stories. Uh, we talk about how Sean got started. You know, we had other uh, people who had been a part of the Anime Expo kind of idol, um, and that's something that Sean did, you know, growing up and what his life was like to eventually getting to work on some of these most, the most prolific titles in the world. So, Guys, uh, strap in, but before you do that, make sure you're strapped in for this, but also make sure you click and like and subscribe and uh, leave in reviews if you're so inclined because this episode is going to take you on a wild ride. We're going to take you for a ride. That was from Crazy Taxi, I think. I, that theme song is ingrained in my head. Anyway, Sean Chiplock on the Points of Experience Podcast. The countdown, the final countdown, and uh, to to pick up where we were just talking mm-hmm. before I hit the record button here, uh, yeah, we will try and not get to give you any gotcha moments here, Sean. I will give you that <laughs> that creed right now. We will I not mean, gotcha, Sean. We'll, we'll get it out of the way now because I know people have been asking endlessly about a certain upcoming Nintendo game, and I just have to preface when I say I don't know what's going on with that or if anyone is coming back. I don't mean, oh, I'm playing secret because I'm under a contract. I mean that 95% of the time, our jobs come so late into the process that, like, there there have been things that I have recorded, my recording session finished, and the thing that I voiced for came out a week later. Like, that close to... It happens all the time with simuldubs, with, like, anime and stuff like that. So, 
It's just funny to me when it's like, hey, I happen to also be a gamer. I happen to also be someone who watches anime. And so, like, if I share a tweet of, like, you know, someone, here's what I imagine Teba would look like if he's in the new Legend of Zelda game. And I'm like, this looks really cool. I'm going to share it. And then you get, like, 20 people going, see, I'm not worried about whether or not he's going to show up in the game. If, <laughs> if the voice actor retweeted it, that must be hard confirmation. Can I... I need to read something for you, okay? Um, please, please. Tears the floor of the Kingdom mega thread. It was on Reddit because someone was asking me. Uh, it was like everything we know about Tears of the Kingdom. Everything we we're already we're on the thing of. Uh, <laughs> of what's that one thing? What's that one thread? Sure. Okay. Uh, everything we know, here we go, here we go. Everything we know about Tears of the Kingdom as April 2023. You have to hear this wording because it's really going to make you laugh, all right? Please. So I was interviewed on a podcast called Kiwi Talks, okay? And and they they asked me some question about, like, you know, do you know anything about, you know, what are your thoughts on Tears of the Kingdom? I'm like, okay, this is weird. I don't know anything. And my yeah. response was... I'm very excited for Tears of the Kingdom because as someone who didn't play Breath of the Wild, I'm like, I'm happy yeah. for people that have been waiting for so long. You know, I want to keep out for videos to see if, you know, there's any characters that show up or if there's any characters that happen to come back. I have no idea what's going to happen. I'm learning alongside everybody else. And and he goes like, DLC, maybe. I'm like, okay, yeah, that's what I'm mostly looking at. But I don't know. Time will tell. Literally just going, I, I don't know anything. We'll find out with everybody else. This reply goes... This implies that Rivali, Teba, and the Deku Tree will not be returning, but there are other possibilities. Chiplock may have been unable to speak about it, be genuinely unsure, was replaced as a voice actor, or something else. Which is literally just a fancy way of saying, it could be anything. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so guys, sorry. Guys, guys, based on what he said, there's two outcomes. Either he knows... Or he doesn't. <laughs> we'll report once we know more. People really need to learn to practice a little patience. I get it. It's fun to speculate. And if you have a favorite character, you're eager and you're excited. But especially with people like us voice actors, I get this a lot all the time with like, and again, this is me not saying anything about right. anything. I get it for Neo and Kingdom Hearts. I'm a huge Kingdom Oh, so Neo's Hearts coming to Kingdom Hearts. You just oh, said yeah. it. What? No, no, stop the press. Stop the press. But I get the same stuff all the time. It's like, wait, wait, why is he tweeting Kingdom Hearts? What does this mean? It's it's like you said, sometimes you record three years prior. Sometimes you record three minutes prior. And they know that actors, like, they know we're getting this heat, you know? And, and so sometimes it's strategic from a company to wait to the last minute or to do it super early. They're crazy, man. I remember a couple years ago, I forget the actor's name, but an actor just posted a photo of the, the Warner Brothers water tower, the watchtower, whatever it was. And because of the date and the actor who was posting it, users on the internet were able to triangulate and say, oh, well, they were a part of this franchise and they've been recently going in, so they might be doing a sequel or a downloadable thing for this project. And they were right. They had wow. figured it out off of a photo of a goddamn water tower. People are visual. So, so guys, like, we just, we're not going to say it. We're not. It's not. <laughs> what a <laughs> wonderful start to this podcast. I know, I love right? Because this is what I, you know, honestly, Sean, uh, to, to kind of give a, a little intro to my cousin, because we, we've never sure. met before, so it's an, an honest pleasure to to sit here and chat with you today. And uh, I've been a fan of you uh, and your work <laughs> and you as a, as a person. And as someone who is, how to phrase this, um, 
socially active, I think, is a good way of putting it. And I know you've just been dealing with a social media conundrum of your own. Right. We could talk about that. But uh, I, I really appreciate somebody like you um, because, like myself, I feel like you are a gamer. You you understand the culture. You are part of the culture, and mm-hmm. it's enjoyable to you. Uh, that's not the case with every actor, and that's fine. Sure, you know, not sure. Not everybody has to be a mega fan of everything. But I, I really love your involvement and your commentary on things that are very important and poignant, especially in the industry. Mm-hmm. I think it's helpful for people who follow you. It's uh, it's inspiring, and it's just... I appreciate that. As someone who's I, doing something I like appreciate <laughs> I appreciate your appreciation, although I can't take all of the credit because, you know, you think of, of establishments like CODA, like the Coalition of Dubbing Actors. It is... I, I, I will say it's with a grain of salt. Maybe I could be wrong, but my understanding is the reason why the anime dubbing rate was increased to match what the union rates were in Los Angeles was because of the efforts of CODA and the actors within it, who as a collective non-union union said, this is what we're going to request. This is what we're going to push for. And that can't happen off of a single person. It can't. You need a unified effort for the studios to be like, all right, you want this to be the norm. We'll, We'll play ball. We'll go along with it. Um, so as much as I will take credit for being active and talking about things that are important, it, it's easier when we have colleagues that are willing to stand behind us and speak up for us. When we have colleagues who are in much better positions within the industry, who are willing to use those platforms, use those positions of power and influence to do good. Um, without naming names, just because I don't want to cause controversy, I remember there being a very well-established actor who had really, I don't think they did a lot of work with a particular studio, but it was because of them basically, like, looking in on them and going, what you doing over there, that the studio stopped doing something that was considered unprofessional conduct. So, Mm -hmm. just, I love, I love that our generation is so willing to not keep quiet about things that bother us, And I love that, especially the older generation, is continuing to bring that sense of camaraderie that makes this industry feel so inclusive, even though it can be full of drama at times. Sure, and that's you know that that that's its own beast within itself, you know. Mm. (laughs) But and it's it comes with any industry, any profession. But um, it, it it makes me think of right now in 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 Hollywood here in Los Angeles. You know, this is the first strike in uh, 15 years that the writers are having right now. And this is a oh, that's thing right. That's going so they on. did, they, they're officially going through with it right now, huh? I think they, it's, so my fiance, she's a writer and she works for a, a, like a, a co-EP on a show. And so you hear various different things. It's like the union has to send out like their, um, again, this is, you do your own fact checking out there if you're sure, listening. Sure, sure. From what I've heard is, is the union has to decide amongst themselves to say, we're going to send this proposal out to the studios and they have a chance to react. Right. And then if they don't react, then they have to make another decision to say, we are going to go on strike when the contract goes up. And I believe the contract uh, ends May 1st. So unless there is some sort of movement between now and May 1st, it looks like they are going to be going on strike. I mean, I'm not surprised because uh, based on precedent set in history, if they do go on strike, we'll finally get a sequel to Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog. And I don't think there's a person <laughs> alive who didn't like that production, the studios included. So I'd put money in the bet that the studios were like, this could be our chance. Like, I, I've been listening to that. I, we need a new one. We need a new one, damn it. This so, is the new version of the producers. This is the, you know, we need a, we need a, a flop th- and we need a strike is, so we can get some great art. This is the technique. Anytime we need improvements in the industry, we just have to call up uh, Neil Patrick Harris and go, hey, bud. You ready to go for another round? Let's let's do it. Come on. 
<laughs> I love that. But, you know, all to the point that it is very hard to mm-hmm. stand up for things like that, especially when as an actor, I mean, writers have it hard as well. But, you know, actors, we are so disposable. You know, uh, it's like there's you, you walk down a block in Los Angeles and you say actor and a hand will raise every five feet. You know, that's just kind of this this industry. And it's great that there's so much opportunity um, with these streaming sites and various different, uh, you know, platforms of things being made. But it's hard to say, hey, I'm willing to risk not making money right now to, you know, kind of put my right. foot down about something. It's a very right. hard thing to do, especially when people have families and <laughs> loan payments and mortgages yep. and whatever it is. But um, again, I thank you and I thank everybody else like Coda who, who do all those great things. Um, For sure. Great. Now we're here. We're finally now we're here. here. <laughs> what a great intro to this episode. So how are you doing today, Sean? Man, there is, well, as you might imagine, I ran, came here about 15 minutes late due to a full day of everything. I think this yeah. was actually the second interview that I ended up doing today. And then there was like a feedback workshop and stuff like that. I often describe it as, and I hate that it's been like a week's, months long thing at this point, but I often describe it as this constant sensation of standing on the edge of a cliff. Not in that way, not in that way, but standing on the edge of a cliff and you're not in danger. It's not like you're feeling like you're about to fall, but just this constant knowledge that at any moment you could either take a step back or a gust of wind could knock you over the edge. Um, And there's lots of different factors falling into that. So, oh my God, God bless. All right, so now, I'd scrap what I just said. This is the best day of my life. I'm totally... <laughs> mm. So, or, I'm going to try and keep this succinct, but I hope that the explanation in, of, in and of itself will help give people the idea of what goes on in the head of someone who's trying to keep as active as possible. Um, today is the last day before the second half of my convention gauntlet. Um, starting in... Early March, the second week of March, I went, and this is back to back to back. I mean, every every single weekend without a break. Starting second weekend of March, I went to Texas, then San Diego, then I believe this was Utah, then Hawaii, then Texas again, and now I'm back for a weekend. I was supposed to be in the UK, but that fell through. Then I'm flying out to Michigan tomorrow, then Florida the weekend after that, then New York the weekend after that, then Georgia the weekend after that, then a one uh, a back-to-back California signing uh, the weekend after that, followed by one I can't discuss yet, but is very international, followed by one even more international in the Philippines, and then finally finishing in Michigan in the second week of June. Um, so that's for, that's for travel. That's for conventions. For work, I, I'm trying to keep up on top of everything else. I'm scheduling the sessions going on. Um, back in, during the pandemic, I started streaming. And while it had kind of taken a backseat as work picked up, it's kind of started to come back uh, out of necessity uh, because there's like a trio of games that I'm super crazy passionate about uh, that are releasing one per month. So I'm trying to make time to get through them so I don't end up backlogged with all of those games. Um yeah. But I have to couple that with auditions, with freelance. Uh, I wish I was joking when I say this, but on average, my free time starts between 10 and 11.30 p.m. at night. Um, And there's more cases than I can count where I lay down on the couch and I fire up the switch and 20 minutes later, I'm fast asleep uh, because my cat is really good at cuddling. So (laughs) it sounds like a one percenter problem, and I'm sorry if it comes across to people like that, but I guess what I'm trying to get across is I'm so, so, so grateful 
to be busy. I tell people I would rather be busy with work than busy looking for work. Mm -hmm. The problem is, and what I think most people aren't aware of when they're like, I'm going to try and be as busy as possible, is if you're not careful, if you don't set restrictions for yourself, it can very quickly snowball into the sensation of now I have to maintain this or I won't be able to keep up. Uh, yeah. Without going into details, even though I'm not wealthy, I'm telling you I'm not wealthy. We don't have a fancy house, although saying I have a house is probably bragging enough. But <laughs> I set a new record this year. The IRS wants five digits from me for each of my estimated tax payments. Every three months, I have to pay them five digits in estimated tax payments. So obviously the earnings are there, but I'm sitting here going... Where where's the rest of that? I'm checking my bank account going. I don't see like if you asked me to pay you another that amount right now, I wouldn't be able to. So like yeah. it's this worry with such a volatile career that it's not guaranteed to be that consistent. And now yeah. there's that pressure of I have to keep up. I have to keep up. I have to continue this schedule even if it's wearing me out. So that's where it's kind of is like I'm proud of what I'm doing. I'm content with what I'm doing. But there's that that demon in the back of your head that goes, you, you can't stop. You can't rest. You got to keep going. If you stop, it's all going to fall apart. So, yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. And, you know, without naming names, I've, you know, I've spoken with some of our colleagues who are experiencing this similar feeling of like, you know, it's such a volatile industry. You never know when something is going to be popular and when it's going to lose popularity and when it's going to be the next thing and when you're going to get your next job where you really do have that pressure of, okay, I'm trying to uh, change my lifestyle a little, a little bit, mm -hmm. whether that's moving to a house or, you know, getting a pet or, you know, paying yep. off loans and what have you. You know, when you're trying to make these life changes in your career as you get more successful or you gain more money and monetization of whatever you're doing, it can come with that kind of looming like when will this end when you know how right. how do i continue this and i don't want it to, to end and uh... on, on a tangent something there was this was something that was brought up in a different reddit thread that i thought was really insightful there was a reddit thread that was like people who don't respond to messages for days at a time why don't you and someone brought up and they said i think this is a relatively new phenomenon that many of us have not clued into where anyone who is a part of our life is automatically assumed to have 24 7 access to us where they can shoot us a message over Twitter DM or over Telegram or over Discord, and it's expected, not not necessarily mandated, but generally just assumed that we're going to respond to them within a couple of hours at most. Yep. And I hadn't thought about it before then, where, like, when you were young and you went out to play and you came back at 8 p.m., you know, your dad would check the voicemails at the end of the day. And then I think of how often throughout the day I'm in the middle of something else and someone reaches out and goes, hey, can we get you for an interview? Hey, what are your thoughts on this? You know, would you be able to assist me with this? And especially as someone who's in the industry with me, I'm sure you felt this, the growing necessity of being accessible to our audiences mm -hmm. and to our fan bases. Um, whether we like it or not, the fact that it's gone the way of Hollywood, of where they want uh, presenters and content creators I'm sure there's just as many people who got into streaming because they enjoy it as there are people who got into streaming because it was the most acceptable thing they were willing to do that forces them to constantly interact with an audience while also being able to keep them at a reasonable arm's length. So. Yes, absolutely. And it's, it's fascinating. I mean, I have people, you know, you talk about this. I have... I've gotten to points and it's really it's warped my idea of social media in a way with friends and family where like mm -hmm. I've had people in my life where I'll post a story on Instagram or something and then someone will call me because they're like, oh, this person's free right now. 
or like they'll text me like after like I've posted something, a tweet or thing, you know, someone will DM me instantly after I've been active right. on social media. And it's become this really <coughs> intrusive um, involvement in people's lives, uh, in people's lives. And it's it's I. I, this is more of a meat problem, I feel like, rather than like a this worldwide is, it, it problem. Sounds, I feel bad for <laughs> listeners because it sounds really depressing. It sounds like we're having like a, a, a group therapy, group social anxiety <laughs> meeting right now. But it's like it's 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 hard because obviously it's not stopping us from doing this because we're having sure. a blast. But it's just some of those behind the scenes things of like, here's what we are constantly thinking about on top of everything that we're doing in a yeah. career where you can't let your emotions take over because it affects your reads. You have yeah. to be able to set it aside. But when it's so persistent like that, it's really difficult. It really is. It really is. And I and I, before I, because I, I would love to get to know a little bit of your origin. And how you sure. Started, and please don't let me drag on too long on any one no, topic. But, it, but since we're here and it's, it's something I'm very interested in and it's something I think people would be fascinated about because there's no real, <laughs> there's no like business of voice actor school. There's no college course that says, hey, when you become a professional voice actor, this is the amount of money you can expect to make. This is the things you can expect it to be doing outside of work. This is the things you could i mean i i, I i'm gonna let you jump in here real quick before mm -hmm. i finish my thought if i'll, I'll let you go go, go ahead, ahead go ahead oh, oh, oh me sure. go well uh I, you know just like there's all these various different things and you know like conventions and travel and managing how much time you spend on auditions and doing the twitch streaming and the social media like there's so much that becomes a mm -hmm. part of this career that yep. when i went to theater school it was like learn how to act and do that and goodbye and then in, uh, like, the brief story <laughs> i was gonna add in was uh, talking about planning for your career is what made me check out of one of my college classes because we had a uh, end of semester project where we had to take our chosen career choice and budget and we had to build our budget around okay like what if you were you know how would you pay for housing your car whatever yeah. here's the thing the budget assumed you were getting a new car uh <laughs> <laughs> that you were getting a rel a cheap but relatively new house or something like that, or that you were living on your own or with one other person tops. And yeah. so when I did the budgeting on the average estimated voiceover career income, which I think was 45 grand, there literally was not enough money for all the specs of this project required. So I went up <laughs> to the professor and I was like, hey, um what do I do about this? And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, I, so I, I punched in the numbers. Here's the average that I got. But with these specific specs, I, it doesn't allow me to afford everything. How do you want me to manage this? And he goes, yeah. uh, well, if it doesn't let you afford all that, then you should look at a different career. <laughs> oh god! Now you really know we only do this because we love it. <laughs> right? I was like, "What kind of economics professor are you?" Uh, what? <laughs> it looks like if you do this career, you will actually lose money every year and probably uh, get gray hairs, and you will find yourself. Uh, oh, I'm losing! I've been wearing yet. headphones for so long, I'm losing the hair on the center of my oh. head. Oh gosh! It's like when you park oh. your car on the grass and it just starts dying because you never let it see the sunlight. <laughs> Oh, it is so true. I've seen and I've seen some people get like an indent on their head from like using the streaming headphones for right. too long. So I'm not there yet, but I definitely I understand where you're coming from with the hair loss stuff. I mean, <laughs> I, 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 I have gray it's hair. It's okay, baby. You look majestic. You look great. <laughs> you're fantastic. 
Ah, <laughs> oh, thank you. Uh, I wanted to. I really wanted to ask because while we're on this, like, sure. how do you manage? What is your? What are the things you are doing to manage having a healthy work like work life balance? That's the big question. But really, I mean, uh, pure uncut cocaine. No, I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> what, so what? The question is, what is the stuff like, I'm doing to manage all of this? Yeah, because I, I mean, the deeper question, the big question is work life balance. But I mean, the deeper question, as someone who's a voice actor, is you know, while you're doing all this traveling, while you're doing all this streaming, while you're you presumably have to feed yourself and hydrate <coughs> yourself and and live some sort of a normal life with your partner and you know just have some you know uh, outside of the finances you have to have some sort of enjoyment um i would imagine maybe not but how are you staying uh, persistent in giving good audition reads? How are you making sure that you are well-rested and prepared to go to a session? How are you making sure you're um, either resting on planes or utilizing your time on planes? Right. Like, what is What has become the life management of someone in your position who is, you know, uh, in this new age of, of, of voice actors, it, it really is so many different things than just going to a recording studio a couple times a week and that's how you make your living. Right, right. Well, I'll be honest with you, I wouldn't say my method of managing it is efficient or particularly uh, correct uh, to address the things that you do in order. You know, how do I continue to give good reads? I don't know. Uh, I take a lot of, I take a lot, well, mostly what I do is I take a lot of workshops because my mentality towards it, I'm not saying this is the best way to go to go about it, but my mentality is, if I'm working, great. If I'm not working, then maybe that's time that I should be spending looking at what I want to be working in or why I'm not working more. So mm. what often happens is either I'm really busy with conventions and and aud uh, auditions and most importantly sessions, but then when the sessions start to dry up, I'm filling it with workshops. Um, yeah. In February, I was taking 13 workshops across 28 days. Uh, now that's that was that was a heavier month. I'll be honest. That was because I had just had my commercial demo produced for the first time. I was really proud of it, and I wanted to make sure, I was like, okay, well now I need to make sure I'm up to date on animation. I need to make sure that I'm, you know, trying my hand at in-show narration, just basically dipping my toes into as many different ponds as possible. Um, but that's that's how I balance that, is if I'm yeah. working, great. If I'm not working, see if there's an opportunity to fit in education, because as actors, we should always be learning. We should be continuous students, because this industry does not stay stagnant, and so we can't as well. Uh, you know, they say, you know, uh, the moment you, you stop learning is the moment you start dying or something like that. Yeah. Well, it applies to the career as much as it does being a person. Uh, getting decent sleep, I don't have a choice in that matter. Um, like I said, I go to relax on the couch and I pass out almost immediately. Um, now my cat helps with that because my cat panda is incredibly affectionate. And if my wife happens to overhear, she might bring in my cat so I can spoil people. That would be great. <laughs> but I know you're busy. I love you, honey. Um, or or Ackle can do it too. Anyway, um, he he's a total cuddle bug and he helps me relax at the end of the day. Um, in terms of like how I manage the time, on a very basic level, Google Calendar works wonders. Yeah. Like anytime I have a session, anytime that they ask for an interview, I, I slot the time in and I see if it's going to conflict with anything else. And if it is, then I try to negotiate with people. I'm very, very grateful to say that uh, I have, I don't believe I've ever had to turn down a job or miss out on an episode of a gig that I had because I couldn't be there for uh, the recording session deadline. I've had extremely close calls, but I haven't had to do it yet. Um, but the other important part, and I this seems like it's self-fulfilling, part of how I'm able to manage that time and take care of myself is because whenever I am in the ability to work, I am working my ass off. 
if I'm doing a freelance job and they say the deadline is Thursday, I'm trying to get it to them Tuesday afternoon. I have had times where they said, they sent it to me on Monday and they said, hey, if you could get it to us by like sometime next week, that would be great. And four hours later, I go, just send it to you if you transfer, let me know your thoughts. The reason being because even though that takes time out of my day where I think I have a free afternoon and then all of a sudden they send me a job and I'm like, I'm going to just take care of it now instead of staying on the couch where I am. What this has led to is this trust, respect, and accountability where on the few occasions where I have reached out to clients and said, hey, I can't do this by the deadline that you need. Something came up. My throat hurts. I've got strep or I just feel under the weather. Mm. Can I get it to you by blank? I don't believe I've ever had a client say no we need you to turn it in by this day they have been super accommodating so it's a two-way street it's it's by valuing everyone else's time to a great degree my faith my hope is that on the rare occasions where i need time for myself that they will work around my schedule it's a give and take you know yeah if for our career i'm sorry if i'm if i'm rambling on but no please um, this is great For my career, there's just as many days where I am up until one in the morning editing audio for a foreign client as there are days when I have a session from 10 to 12, I'm home by 1 p.m., and I am done for the day. You know, meanwhile, my wife works a salaried position. She's in the office, leaves for her position in the office at like 6 o'clock in the morning, doesn't get home until 6.30, and that's five days a week, you know, plus whatever she has on the weekends. So it's about acknowledging and respecting the flexibility that we have as a result of this career and being willing to trade away that flexibility a majority of the time so that when it really matters, we can have it for ourselves. Wow, so well put. And I think that is a wonderful strategy. I mean, I know you kind of preface it by not knowing if it is the uh, a tried and true way, but I, I think it's I, I think for the most part, it seems to be working for you. And uh, it's it's something that allows you to work as much as you do. I, I, I think you you are, a, a, you know, for for the outside people looking in, you know, it's it's hard to gauge what working right. a lot for a voice actor is because there's some people who get like one job and then they supplement their income by doing a ton of conventions and that leads to a lot of things. But you are someone who really does work a ton. You you know you've got so many credits uh, and you do multiple characters and a lot of projects. You are someone who is a very versatile actor and I think that a lot of clients they know they can trust you uh, with things. So people you've worked with before they're like, okay, let's bring in Sean. He can do X, Y, and Z. You know mm-hmm. you, you probably come back with a lot of people all the time um so i I really have to imagine that you you, you're able to whatever you're doing is is allowing you to show up on game day and give uh you know a a good performance it's it's also the golden retriever energy i'm just happy to be there no matter what so (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. um, that definitely well having the passion is also important you know i've had frustrating weeks where i'm like i don't know what i'm doing i don't trust in my own ability but even on those frustrating times i have so much I, I call it Stockholm Syndrome. Stockholm with a VO in the middle. Stockholm <laughs> Syndrome. Because even on those weeks where I'm like, this is frustrating the hell out of me, I genuinely cannot see myself not doing this. Like, if I took a month and said, I'm not going to do any of the auditions that come in my inbox, I guarantee you within a week, there'd be one project I look at where I'm like, ah! You'd be scratching at the walls, right? <laughs> Just those one, please. <laughs> like, yeah, it would be that. Um... 
So uh, I'm trying to think of what I'm saying with that. Uh, there was one last. Oh, and if if we had to go down to the core where they're like, well, it still must be exhausting doing all of that, doing the streaming, doing the auditions, doing the workshops, doing the work. You know, why don't you take time off for yourself? It's because if I had to pick one piece of freedom that I value more than anything else in my life, it's the financial freedom. It is. Um, it is the fact that while I'm not wealthy, and I need to emphasize that, like I, I tell people, I am one California hospital visit away from being in the poverty level because that shit's expensive. Yeah. But it is the idea that I'm working, I'm working, I'm working, and I've got this money squirreled away, and I've got it backed up, that if something were to happen, when the unexpected happens, what could be a crippling debt take on for someone else, at worst, has been a frustrating inconvenience for myself there was a time when uh a couple years ago where i had an unexpected kidney stone it, it took less than 12 hours for it to resolve from when it started and that was in a sixty five hundred dollar er visit six six thousand five hundred dollars in less than 12 hours that i wasn't expecting to spend yeah. i know friends for whom that would be something they'd be paying off for five ten years you know yeah. on a payment plan for me it was well that's what this is for. Pulled out of the emergency funds that I'd been building up for a couple of years, paid it immediately, done. Didn't have to think about it ever again. That yeah. kind of freedom to where the occasional major or minor financial inconvenience is something that I can take care of relatively quickly and get on with my life is worth more than anything else to me. And I hope, I pray that anyone that gets in this career, whether it's through a secondary job or through success with your career, is able to pay off loans, is able to find some fin uh, financial stability, because I gotta tell you, not having to worry about your bank account on a day-to-day -day basis is alone makes up like 70% of a healthy mental state. It does. It's 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 really important. Uh, you know, people always say like uh, money is a problem that needs to be solved for a lot of things. You know, it's it's having the ability to not worry about ha whether or not you can go to the hospital. You know, having there's people in this world who have to decide when they are extremely sick. Can I afford to go to the hospital right now? And that is terrifying. And for a majority of people in this industry and a lot of our colleagues, you know, it, from the outside, someone might look at someone like your career, Sean, and be like, you know, you're at the top of the food chain. And to hear you say things like, you know, I am not wealthy, I think mm -hmm. that says to people like, well, if you can't become wealthy in this industry, if you're do, if you know, if you're if you're if you're pushing the gas to the floor, for for lack of a better example, right? And you're considering yourself not wealthy, then it's like, how how are how is this? How did people do it in the past? And I think it's like the industry has just changed. I think we're it's a different time where you know there was ten people who did VO back in the day. Right, it's just not the case anymore. Um, right, I would love to get your. But opinion I on would that. also say there used to be ten companies that did work, and and you, what you might have gleaned from this conversation is I'm not just doing studio stuff. I'm doing yeah. e-learning for some clients. I'm doing you know mobile games for foreign clients. I'm doing you know small narrations for smaller industries. I am I am like cherry picking. 50 different projects a week for people that I'm doing stuff for. And yes, it takes up a lot of time, but it also means that there's this constant stream of work, often unpredictable yep. on what I will get, but there's a lot of different sources of potential work coming in. And to touch on what you were saying, like how are we supposed to amass wealth? Rather than, I, and I'm not like uh, contradicting you or anything, no, but please. I think what'll help people is, rather than viewing it as how am I ever supposed to get wealthy? The question you should be asking yourself is, Am I in a position yet 
where I can afford to do the things that are important to me, whether that's going paragliding in Hawaii or whether that's taking your spouse on a trip to the place where you got married or whether it's, as I did at one point, taking an entire week off of voice acting so that you could stream a video game 12 hours a day that you had been waiting (laughs) for a remaster of for 20 years. If you can do that and still financially recover or not take a financial hit from it, isn't that the real definition of wealth to have the kind to have the freedom, the ability uh, and the time to do things that you want to do without having to sacrifice something else for it? Yeah, no, that is that's very well put. And I think for a lot of people, too, um, I, I feel this way about myself to a certain degree. I mean, I think there's an unhealthy balance that could be had. But, you know, what I do for a living and what you know what we do for a living is that is fun recreation to me to some extent. You know, I really do feel like I'm, uh, when I was a kid and I was out at the the park and I was playing pretend with my friends and we were skateboarding or we were playing basketball. Like, I do get a little bit of that same kind of feeling when I'm in a recording studio working on something that I love. I think it's the thing that's going to keep me from getting Alzheimer's, to be perfectly honest. I have, I've worked not, I've worked night shift jobs. I've worked eight to six jobs. I worked, you know, nine to five jobs. Um, and I've learned very quickly, at least for the way that I operate, if I'm doing the same thing for hours on end and I'm not personally invested in it, I fall asleep. I can't focus. I zone out. Voice acting is never the same thing twice. There's a lot of familiarities, but no client is going to be like, Hey, you know, that thing you did for Rivali? We just want that. Just do (laughs) Rivali for us. It's going to be, so he's a cocky, confident character, but it's because he's trying to impress a girl or... You know, he looks down on this character, but that's because they're, they're, the, this character's father murdered his or something yeah. like that. You know what I mean? There's always something slightly different about even the things that are familiar. And so every time I walk in the booth, it's, what am I doing today? You know, am I sniping someone from a high-rise building? Am I asking someone to pull me out of a pit? You know, am I chastising a human being with my bird wings? It's, the possibilities are endless. I know. It is really a wonderful career. It's a tremendous gift that we get to do this, and uh, it, it, it's we're very lucky. We are very, very lucky to, to be able to make money doing something like this uh, as a mm-hmm. career, as a job, play pretend. Um, I, I would love to jump now. I know we've, we've, we've kind of went all over the place here, and I love that. Sure, I sure. Great. I think people will really enjoy that, but I would love to know a little bit about you and how, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you've talked about this many times on podcasts, all you know, all over, but uh, the, the thing that I would really love to know is kind of the, the nitty-gritty things for how you know, Sean as a kid turned into, I'm going to pursue this career. And how did this all actually happen? You know, like what was the, what were the small moments that happened in between that really led to the, the career that you have? And, and mostly starting with, um, like, where did you grow up and what were you like as a kid? Um, well, I grew up in Michigan, uh, in Saginaw, which is great. Cause when you grow up in Saginaw, your life goal becomes to get the hell out of Saginaw. Um, <laughs> to give you context, Saginaw was the homicide capital of the United States in 2016. Go Saginaw. Ooh. Um, had a tax incentive to have filmmakers shoot scenes there and it died after three months because the filmmakers that tried to do it had their equipment get stolen. Oh. Um, so yeah, Saginaw is great if you're old or in a gang, cause you'll be dead within 20 years. Um, <sighs> <laughs> but that also meant I had a lot of time to myself. Uh, mm. That was also because of the bullying that happened in elementary and middle school. Um, unfortunately, it was also tied into the fact that my mom passed away when I was a freshman in high school. Um, and the demand that that placed on myself and my father uh, being the older members of the family who could look after her and had to deal with like the, I don't want to say the relief, but like what next after yeah. everything was said and done. 
um, it led to a lot of introversion. You know, I just, I, I was too focused on other things. I wasn't making enough friends at school. I, you know, I wasn't popular enough. Uh, and of course, then you had the college pressures coming on. Like, what what re, what studies are you going to do? What's going to be your focus for the next four years? Keep in mind, it's mandatory for you to have a college uh, degree. It's no longer a thing that helps you get a better job. It's the bare minimum required to get a job mm. in the first place. So already, all of those pressures about your future being piled on top of you. And the fact was, while I was doing well in my classes, I was taking AP classes, I was part of the international baccalaureate college prep system, whatever it was. Fancy. Um, even though I was doing well in these classes, whether out of obligation or something else, there wasn't <laughs> anything that was speaking to me. There wasn't any of these where I'm like, this is what I want to focus on for four years straight. So a lot of evenings, I would just do my homework or do it to the best of my ability and then kill six to eight hours on Neopets and Maple Story, And I mean, <laughs> consistently. Um, and I would listen to Adult Swim in the background. And I it was during a Christmas break that I discovered what voice acting was because I was on Adult Swim's website by pure chance. Like, I'd never been there before, had no interest in exploring it. I was just bored out of my skull. Uh -huh. And I ended up seeing a behind-the-scenes video of, I know, back when he did anime, Troy Baker in the studio uh, recording for Abel Night Road and Trinity Blood. And... This is so weird. It makes no sense in hindsight. But even before I had discovered voice acting, my brother and I were already doing it. When we would play Nintendo 64 games like Banjo-Kazooie or Bomberman um, 64, The Second Attack, you know, that Great era game. of games that had text and dialogue but almost never any voices, yeah. or it was just like battle grunts or stuff like that, uh -huh. we would take turns doing voices for the characters. But it had never occurred to me that this was what people did when I listened to cartoons or when I played video games that had voice acting, like Mega Man Legends on, on uh, uh, I believe it was Nintendo 64 and also PlayStation as well. Yeah. Um, so having this moment of seeing a person in the booth talking and seeing the character's lip flaps move at the same exact time, it literally was a light bulb going off in my chest. It was, oh, what is this? Like... And the reason why it grabbed me so hard was because for the first time in my life at that point, outside of, you know, kid hobbies and dreams and I want to be a dinosaur and stuff like that. This was something that I personally was invested in, that one that I wanted to learn more about, that no one else was guiding me towards or telling me I should look into. I was just enraptured by it. I was like, I don't know what this is, but I want to do that. I want to I want to be a part of that. Um now it was selfish at the time because the way I saw it it was I have all this energy that annoys people but now I can be energetic in the booth for energetic <sighs> characters and get paid for doing it. Um but I like I said those reasons have become more mature over time. You know, it's the fact that I get to explore all of these different worlds. It's the fact that I get to share in these communities with people for genres I may not normally play or be able to get around to, um, or or just getting to comment on the things that I found cool. You know, imagine being someone who loved what happened in an anime like Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. Now imagine getting to voice the guy that people go crazy over and not using that as like celebrity bragging, but getting to talk about, oh yeah, here's how I felt when I did that scene. Or did you know that during this scene, like I was like literally, you know, uh, there's a scene in ReZero season two where he's bound and gagged uh, after one of the big bad people catches him. And I literally 
tied my shirt around my face and gagged myself with my shirt so that the sounds he made over the rope would sound more realistic. And it's just cool to me that I can do that to add a sense of real. You can see me smiling, getting super passionate about it. Um, but also because, and this is the, the dark part, um, because I don't know how much time I have left in my life, for various reasons I'm not going to get into, um, I see it as my way of achieving immortality. Because, you know, we, we've we had a lot of cases with folks like Billy Kometz and Brad Venable, rest in peace, um, where even though they've been gone for years at this point, um, all we have to do is boot up something that they voiced in, and they're right there to help entertain us again, to, yeah. to provide us some comfort, to provide us you know, uh, something that we want to hear. And so I like the idea that even if I don't get as much time as I would like to have, that it won't stop me from being able to entertain those around me and give them a reason to look forward to something. Mm, wow. Uh, I mean, thank you for sharing that. It is it, it is really kind of a, a version of immortality. I mean, I think of, you know, I still go back and, and watch like old school animes or play right. old video games and the <coughs> inception of voice acting and uh, there's these people and these actors and these characters that still have an effect on me to this day and they have right. formed kind of the person I've become and it's it's uh, what we do in this entertainment through the various mediums, mediums we get to be a part of in this career, it's... I know some people might look at this career and be like, yeah, but you just you just you play characters. Like, it's not really that important. You're not saving lives or anything like that. But I truly do feel that the impact that we have on uh, society in filling in those moments when we're not, you know, um, or, you know, filling in the moments for everybody's life where it's not always uh, sunshine and rainbows and we're, we're offering a release and an escape. There's a demand for it. If companies thought they didn't need to budget for an English dub or English voices <laughs> and that they'd still make just as much money, newsflash, they wouldn't spend the money on it. Yeah, they're not doing anybody a favor. <laughs> but Nobody yeah, spends so... money for no reason. So, no, I'm glad to be a part of it, and, you know, I've already got the full circle moment planned. You know, when when I do die, I'm going to have them do the burial service uh, about a mile away from my elementary school, and uh, as they're lowering the casket, they're going to actually lower it into a cannon that I've had built into the ground. Uh, they're going to play over the loudspeaker, Rivali's Gale is now ready, and they're going to launch my corpse up and over out of the graveyard site and into the roof of the elementary school so that I can get the last laugh. Wow. <laughs> that is amazing. Um, I hope that time does not come for a very long time. But when it does, I mean, uh, gosh, that is exceptional. That is quite exceptional. Right? Um, wow. So uh, what age did this, did this, I, when were you, how old were you when you were on that adult swim site? Was this like in high this school? This would have been college? January of the year I would have turned 17. Okay, so, so January two thousand seven, high school presumably, and then at at what point did you make like a life shift to say there's something I can do here to start pursuing what it is I just saw on that website? Oh, it was it was constant tiny moments. Like the minute I knew I wanted to be a part of it, I went in deep. You know, I was part of the voice acting club uh, forum on online. Sure. I was posting on new. I can show you the thread. I can I can instantly look up the thread on Newgrounds Sonic <laughs> Mega. Newgrounds, Life Calling, uh, NGF Found There, look at that. Record time. Do we have a thing where I can post yeah, like in, in a chat? Screen thing right there, or Keith no, no, here we go. Uh, yeah, I'll message everyone in the chat. There it is. That is the thread. That is wow. the thread that I posted Keith, about three months in. Quick? You'd have you'd have to go back to the first page. Um oh, fair. 
Uh, well, you can if you want to open that up. Um, but I, I posted about I know what I want to do. Now, it was it was a very small hill to reach. I was like, I want to voice a character in an anime. Just a character in an anime. Um, but it was it was lots of little moments like that throughout the years. It was being so excited that I was willing to talk about it on a forum of public or a public forum of strangers. Um, it was when I went to college, it was about taking classes related to voice acting. It was about helping a senior with their thesis project where they were doing like kind of a crash bandicoot type indie game and they needed someone to voice the tiki mascot. And I spent two and a half hours in a makeshift padded square recording for a character I couldn't even see on screen and then leaving <laughs> a sweaty mess going, that was the coolest fucking thing I've ever done. I need to do, I don't want to be done. I want to do that again. It was competing in AX Idol in front of a sold-out crowd in the auditorium at Anime Expo and performing a scene for a character that I enjoyed and having the crowd... I'm not saying this to brag. It's just literally what happens. You can look it up. Having the crowd clap for so long that the judges had to wait 30 seconds before they could start commentating and giving me feedback on the performance. Just that moment of going, okay... Not only is this something that I'm passionate about, but clearly I'm able to do it in a way that gets others hyped up as well. Mm. So this isn't just a selfish venture of mine. Um, but there's there's moments like that that keep coming up throughout the career. I almost say you shouldn't have to bank on something that happened 15, 20 years ago, because how do you know that the love, that the passion is still there? Yeah. Um, so we have those little moments like, when I moved out to California in 2012... There is no conceivable way that I would have had any idea that I would have been voicing not one, not two, but three characters in a canon-voiced Zelda game that became the award winner of the year, the launch day, you know, game of the console, the thing that open-world games basically based themselves on for the next five years. There was no way I could have done that. Mm -hmm. And now, there are still times when I think, I think back to when I was... A kid in Toys R Us ruining his spine forever, tilting his head up to play Ocarina of Time on a test console. I am the English voice of the Great Deku Tree. 20 years ago, more than 20 years ago, 25, 30 years ago. No, 30 years ago, I was pretty much like still barely being a fetus. Yeah. <laughs> um, 25, 25 years ago, I was looking up at a TV screen and seeing a polygonal tree tell a young kid that he has to go save the world. Yeah. I'm now voicing that fucking tree. How cool is that? <laughs> and it's, it's that's what that's what drives me. It's those moments of like you never know. You never know what's going to happen a year from now, 5 years from now, 10 years from now. If I stop doing this career before I'm dead, I'm going to wonder what the hell happened. So, I, it is it, it, these moments that you, I mean, you've had so many of them. I, I I would imagine you know you've got to be a part of such amazing titles, like surreal titles. I mean, I don't know if you're a fan of, of Final Fantasy and you know of, the, of these, these. I was. These... It's so funny you bring that up because not many people talked about Crystal Chronicles, the remaster that came out about two three years ago. Yeah. But Crystal Chronicles and Legend of Mana were two of the games that defined my childhood or my early teen years. Wow. So even though no, not really anyone talked about crystal chronicles remaster when it came out the fact that i got to voice three characters in that and make that game a permanent part of my legacy i bawled like a fucking baby on the first night when i beat the game uh i i, I started and beat it in a single 19 and a half hour stream on release night 
And it was like 3, 3.30 in the afternoon when I finished, and I weeped on stream because I was like, I never in my wildest dreams imagined that this game that I grew up with would become part of my permanent portfolio. Like, yeah. God bless. So when you got when you got the auditions for things like Zelda and you got them from Crystal Chronicles, then did you have this moment of I need to separate myself from this bubbling excitement that's happening, or did you not even know what these things were when you were you you try your best. I know that people say to send and forget, and I agree that you can't let the fan take over. And I've learned that the hard way. Thankfully, not on like big league stuff, but I've learned the yeah. hard way about like letting the oh my god, I want to be a part of this get in the way of of actually looking at the instructions and understanding what they're looking for. Yeah. But I also say that there's definitely times where that passion has helped me. For example, the knowledge that I had about Crystal Chronicles meant that I understood every single one of these characters and what their role was within the game. So I was certain that I could provide something that they would hire me for. Um, yeah. In Breath of the Wild, many people don't know this, I was originally only cast as the Great Deku Tree. That was the one role that I was given, which is super funny because I consider it to be the weakest of the three performances that I did. Not that <laughs> it's necessarily bad, but when you hear someone like me with a pitch up here, and you imagine me going all the way down here, it doesn't it doesn't seem sensible, you know? But Rivali happened some way through the process and they're like, Do you want to give us a sample read for him? And they showed me a sample scene and I literally squealed like a schoolgirl. Like I saw this man moving the way that he did and giving the expressions that he did, and I was <laughs> literally that. What I didn't know was that on the other side of the glass, the director was on a Skype call with higher ups from Nintendo, who were now listening in to this twenty seven year old man going <laughs> So, but I like to think that on some level, having that kind of passion said to them, oh, this isn't just a job for him. He yeah. really cares about this. He wants to do the best job that he can. Not to say that everyone should be that passionate or that you should go that overboard. There's a time and a place. But in that instance, it did end up helping me out. So, you know, know your audience or just be true to yourself. Yeah, I, I, that, that, I mean, that's the great, I think, golden rule is be true to yourself and don't try and uh, mold. In, 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 oh gosh, it's, it's a hard thing to say because obviously in some professional situations, you, you want to respect the level of professionalism to some extent. You know, you mm -hmm. don't want to, you know, be squealing a, a, a little kid the entire time. But I think, you know, being authentic and true to yourself, whether or not that's... Um, whether people think that's geeky or whatever it is, I mean, these can potentially have an impact on whether or not you wind up booking that job. You'll never know. I, I, I would have a similar story for myself with, with Neo. When I booked that, I had played The World Ends With You, and I knew all these things, and it helped, I think, inform my performance. So if people yeah. enjoyed that, I think it's a little bit of a credit of have playing the games when I was a kid. I, I, I've always said that the, the coolest things come into existence when passionate people work together. So as long as what you're passionate about is not destroying others' livelihoods or removing their identities, I'd say it's better to just be open about your passions if for no other reason than because you will naturally attract and get in contact with people who share those passions, and it's a lot more fun to be passionate with people who also care than, you know, trying to defend yourself against people who want to make you feel like shit. Heck so. yeah. 
Heck yeah. That's a great, I mean, it's a great way of thinking about life. And it's, I think it can only be helpful in an industry like this where we're, we're, you know, we're working on video games and animes and most people who get involved in this very particular industry, I think have some appreciation of it. You know, the the directors Mm. and the producers and the designers and everybody who's involved behind the scenes. I think knowing that there's someone who's lending their voice to the project, um, Mm -hmm. if they are passionate about it, I think that only enriches the entire experience. And we start seeing companies that are leaning into that and they're saying, hey, I want. I know you love this stuff, and you know a lot about it. Like, help us promote this, and you know we want to promote you. Plus, not not to put down any of the older generation, but you, we know at this point that a lot of us getting into this career grew up on this stuff. Like, yes. so we have people who have like, you know, we were born in it, molded by it, you know, <laughs> and so we're now getting to be a part of it, and and. You get this, you see these insane takes on Twitter where it's like, they're just in it for the money, you know, they don't really care about it, it's just an easy paycheck. No, man, we are harder on ourselves than anybody else, I would wager. We are the ones pissing off the directors in the booth, because after doing three extra takes of a line, we're like, oh, you know what, what if I, what if, what if I did it this way, with like this intonation, he's like, can we please move on, we're on line 51 out of 287, (laughs) and we have... 17 minutes left in this session that we are paying double scale for please please can we move on so it's a beautiful balance i think i think i i I experience those things all the time where there's so much of me that's like i want to make sure that i'm giving my all and what might be acceptable for somebody behind the glass sometimes Hmm. for me i'm like i know i can do it better i just i was reading it for the first time and sure it's passable but i'm like i'm I'm still understanding what i'm saying like i I actually get at it one more time they're like Okay, fine. Or sometimes they're like, no, we're good. And you have to respect that. And that's, I you think, do. the balance yep. between the the perfectionist and the actor and, and understanding your, your role. But all those things aside, I, for you, when, when did you um, – because we talked about, you know, you, you started making those moments happen concurrently and slowly as you started to realize what the career was. What was sure. the, the bridging moment, I guess, maybe whether it was from you doing a lot of these stuff on the uh, VAC uh, or, you know, or having moved to California? When was like the first moment of like or what did what became the first moment of I am now hired professionally on something I would consider like a high profile job? Now I consider myself a working voice actor. It's hard to pinpoint that, and part of it is self-inflicted because I deal a lot with jealousy and envy and especially, like, trying to to parse out social relationships that I have with people, Um, partially because there's been times in the past where, for all intents and purposes, I thought I was on great terms with a colleague of mine, and I'm saying in general, like a colleague of mine, and then would find out that I did something that royally pissed them off and they wanted nothing to do with me, and I was Hmm. just finding out. And now I learned that because I didn't know, my lack of addressing it came across as not caring, which made it even worse. So it's kind of instilled that little bit of fear of, you know, am am I actually... I still have those thoughts, especially when things slow down, where it's like, okay, well, am I actually doing a good job, or am I just good enough that when the person they normally go with isn't available, I'm a good replacement. You know, I'm yeah. good. I'm someone who can fill in uh, until they have the budget for who they actually want. Um, mm. And so uh, your question being, sorry, I'm trying trying not to go off. And so, oh, the, the bridging moment. Yeah. Um, I, I, it just kind of happens. Like, 
the the example that I give is back on ye old Twitter. Um, sure. You know, I would post my updates, and I had like a thousand, five thousand, ten thousand followers, and and I wasn't thinking much of it. And then there just came a point where my updates started getting three hundred likes instead of thirty. And then 500. And now all of a sudden, some bigger announcements would get one to 2,000. Or I would, you know, have a viral tweet. Or just, just in general, the level of engagement skyrocketed. And I couldn't tell you what did that. It, it was already there before Rivali came out. So it wasn't uh, tied to, like, The Legend of Zelda. Yeah. Um, so it, it's, it's just this gradual thing. And I wouldn't be able to tell you what the bridging moment was. There was a point where... I went from doing Newgrounds animations to doing freelance stuff for payment. Um, there was one of the first broadcast jobs I got when I moved out to California was when I booked Diabelle and Sword Art Online. Now, in the circle of people, in my in the circle of aspiring professional voice actors, I became the shit for several weeks. It was people going, dude, you got on a Toonami show. You aired on TV. <laughs> Do you realize I would kill to be doing that right yeah. now but even then i didn't consider that oh i'm the big league i'm a professional now it was okay i managed to book a job that happened to air on adult swim also my character died in the same episode he showed up yeah what now sean like it doesn't matter uh, yeah. in the grand scheme of things so that's that's kind of how i approach it is there's lots of these of these bridgeable moments they happen constantly and over time um, you know, when I started out in, in California, I wouldn't say a lot of the stuff that I did was, uh, the upwards of professional. I wasn't acting like a bully or being a jerkwad or anything, but I definitely know that there was ways that I carried myself or things that I said that didn't hit the right way or, you know, made people feel uncomfortable. Um, but over time I have built up respect. I've built up reputation. I have been hired on projects for no other reason than the engineer going, hey, uh, so you need someone who can fill like these four or five male roles and you need it done by next week. Just bring in Sean because I know that he can cover them and make them sound distinct. And yeah. it's those things that kind of act as little reminders that, hey, you might actually belong here. You know, like you've got yeah. people who are happy to see you. You've got people who respect you. You've got people who like working with you. Just make sure you don't do anything to screw that up. Yeah. Um, but all of that to say that I, I wouldn't be able to tell you a specific moment, but also because I, as a person, try to avoid saying this. This is the moment when I became this yeah. because I feel like it's something that develops over time, but can also be destroyed over time. So it's not just about attaining it. It's about retaining it. Well put, well put. And I think that's a really great way of, of looking at a career, especially something like this, where it is... Uh, and especially with social media, where I think it, it is success and uh, making it that term is, is so uh, subjective and, and not really relative to whether or not somebody is successful in the in this career. Um, I'll never forget an actor uh, who told me that they returned as a very well-known character in a very well-known fighting game. And two months after that game came out, they were filing for unemployment. So it, yeah. it doesn't matter. It I doesn't know. matter. It has to be yeah. an ongoing, consistent process because if you stop and you rest on your laurels, they're going to dry up before you realize it. Absolutely, absolutely. What, um, someone like you? I mean, you talked about even you know, getting called in because someone knows you could do, uh, you know, five various different voices or incidentals, and you know, you go from doing uh, 
the Deku Tree and Zelda to doing Rivali, mm-hmm. it's like there's very distinct differences. You know, when, when I hear someone like you, you have a very interesting bass voice, and it's, you have hints of a very young protagonist, as well as there's this maturity, and there's this like le- this secret level it's, of like deepness and groundedness that is like sneaking in between that. Do you read? It's you all like- in the placement. When I get excited about something, it goes straight up into my head, into my nose. I have a very nasal high pitch. Um, but as soon as I relax and I just kind of like chill out, that's when it falls back into the throat and you can feel it's like right around here. It's got the, the Adam's owl, yeah. uh, apple vibrating. But that's that's why I say that the, the deeper voices like the Deku tree are the weak ones because the excitement is already is naturally there. Yes. The chill casual is already there. But as soon as I go down here, I have to kind of like force it down there. And now yeah. I'm putting on a voice rather than just being natural. So I can't be sexy like Jonas Scott or Chris Turgliaferra. <laughs> well, how did you wind up becoming more comfortable or or expanding your register to get get more comfortable down there to actually wind up booking roles where you're you're playing something that is in you know more of a an ageless or a mature character? Is it was it something you were doing actively to kind of get more comfortable there? I think it was caring less about what pitch I was using. Because uh, when I when I was new, I hated the pitch of this voice right yeah. here. I remember infamously that I did a fan dub for like a scene as Jade Curtis from Tales of the Abyss, but I pitched it down by like eight percent. I'm talking an absurd amount because I did not want it to sound young. So while Jade Curtis in the game may have sounded like this, my version of Jade Curtis sounded like this. Like it was. <laughs> It was absurdly deep for the character because indignation. I didn't want it to sound young at all. Um, But now I think a lot of it is because I just don't think about it. I'm not I'm not trying to meticulously plan every single aspect of the voice that I'm doing. Um, You know, it's a lot of it is is the body language uh, body language. If I see, you know, a man in a business suit who is snooty, I'll literally do that. We're all just. I'll stand here and I'll I'll tilt my head up and I'll look down on them. And I didn't I didn't decide to place myself at this pitch. I just decided I'm going to act like I'm higher and mightier than you. Listen, if you don't have those papers on my desk by Thursday, I'm not going to have you in your office anymore. Yeah. How does that sound? Like you can tell you've got the man who's confident, businesslike, doesn't take shit from who he considers his inferiors. At no point was I'm saying I need, I need, I need, I need. I was just like, I'm (laughs) trying on your face. I'm going to carry the attitude and let it go from there. And then maybe if the the spec says, you know, has a nasal voice, well, then I'll do the same thing, but I'll pitch it up a little bit. Would you please get those papers on my desk already? You know, something like that. Um, So it's, it's, it's about caring less about what the voice is comprised of and caring more about, well, what is the character comprised of? Yeah. What makes up their personality? If you embody the expression, if you embody the the stance, you know, the, the classic thing when they tell you, puff out your chest when you speak like a superhero. I'm not putting on anything right now. Yep. But just by puffing out my chest like this, you can kind of feel the slight Superman confidence vibes to it where what I'm saying has resolution behind it. Yeah. You just, you embody it. You become the character and you see what comes out. You'll surprise yourself. 
I think, and it's a great uh, point, and it makes me think of this. As an actor, we think of these things, and we start thinking, like, oh, yeah, puff out your chest, and you'll sound, you know, more dignified or powerful or strong, or it'll fall into a deeper register, whatever it might be. But this Mm -hmm. happens in life, like what you're saying is, you know, these people who are the the confident, smart businessmen who look down on people, they often sound like that because that comes from the physicality of them Mm -hmm. acting the way that they do. It's not just something that applies to acting and actors. This is how oftentimes these characteristics, especially vocally, happen to people in real life. You know, me and you, we have very high energetic demeanors, so our voices kind of sound bright and peppy and chipper. And it's because and of it's the so funny how we don't trust ourselves. We're like, okay, well, when we play the high energy character, um, I need to do it this way instead, instead of yeah. just being ourselves. Like a, <laughs> right. a thirty a thirty year old wouldn't sound this high pitched. That's a teenage anime character, he says, <laughs> being thirty-two at this exact fucking moment. <laughs> Oh, I know. I know. It's And I love this. I love that people get to hear this stuff right now because we get so in our head about things. We get so obsessed with like, what does, you know, how do I make myself stand out? I mean, the best advice I've ever given myself, and maybe it was my fiance, she was like, she was like, because I would make her listen to a lot of these auditions that I really, really care about. And I'm like, please, mm-hmm, let me know if you mm-hmm. think that this is acceptable. But I, I do my best. I, I know you know my best. Am I doing my best here? And she would be like, just do it as yourself. She's like, this is fine. It's great. You're, you know, you're, you're creating this interesting character, but she's like, why not just try it as yourself? Like not, not myself, literally like it's Paul, me playing this, you know, I'm not me playing a mob boss talking like this, but like my version, the way that like, if, if I happen to be a mob boss, how would that happen? Not me trying to put on this mob voice type of thing. And it's, I think it's because on the one hand, we're like, well, my idea of a mob boss is probably very stereotypical. You know, a bunch of people are going to deliver it this way. I need to do it different. And what we forget in the process is no, 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 no. If you are doing what you imagine you as a mob boss would sound like and you commit to it, you are already doing something that sounds believable because you believe it. Because you're saying, this is how I would play this character. You're not putting something on, you're just fucking doing it. And I think that's uh, that was something important that I learned in a recent workshop because I was like, I, uh, I remember I was like, oh, well, I was worried about you know doing the same type of performance that most people would. And the workshop director was like, Okay, yeah, but if you stick to it and you actually commit to it, it's going to sound more realistic than someone who's like, oh, I think they want a voice like this because you're just doing it. The commitment is is the hard part for a lot of people because a lot of people get nervous. It's like I, I, I'm not really doing something unique, or I'm 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 afraid of doing the stereotype or like the version that is kind of written in the specs. It's if you can fully embody that whatever the version you have created in right. yourself based on the circumstances right. and your objectives, you've done the the basic homework that goes into any actor's preparation. If you commit to that reality, it'll be a unique, genuine performance based on and you and your life. If you're gonna do the stereotype. Then just do the stereotype better than anyone else in <laughs> the room. Too. You know, if you if if you're gonna voice the person who's a mob, you know, a mob member of the boss, then you know, don't don't just do a general conversation. You gotta get real in there, you know. You gotta have the <laughs> smile. You gotta have the coin rolling through your fingers. I didn't change anything. I just committed to the bit and went. Listen, buddy, it's not me you gotta answer to. It's him. You know, (laughs) that was super stereotypical, but I guarantee I saw you smile. You're like, 
I like this guy, I'm in, I'm right? In, I'm sold. Let's get him. Let's cast him. Can we get the script going right now, guys? <laughs> no, that's such that's a why, great point. That's why stereotypes exist. That's why archetypes exist. It's because yeah. we love that shit. We love seeing it over and over and over and over. How many times have we seen the young hero who falls in love with the girl or guy in this progressive age, God bless LGBT, uh, who's like, I'm going to try and show off, and they make a total fool of themselves in the process. We've seen that hundreds of times, and it never stops being funny because we like seeing them get overconfident and then get their ass kicked for it. Yep, and and everybody, another great point for anybody who is new and starting out, I mean, this is also great advice for me and probably you and anybody who's been working in this industry, but if your voice, the way it is, the base print that you have without doing any affectation could be any sort of hero, villain, it's all those specificities of things that you were just talking about. The rolling of the coin in the hand, the mm-hmm. petting the cat, whatever it is, without doing anything in terms of like uh, altering your pitch in any way, but like what we were talking about earlier, letting those physicalities drive the character rather than you trying to... You know, and distract, because and when distract. all we're doing... When all we're doing is the voice, we tend to focus on the voice. But I, you take any of these modern workshops, they'll tell you, what is your character doing? What's their yeah. motivation? What, what's their physicality? Give us a, a physical tick that they're doing. Because as soon as your brain is keeping track of this and making sure you maintain it, you don't remember how you said something. You don't remember the, the pacing or the emphasis that you put on it. Yeah. And it's going to sound more real as a result because it's not specifically practiced in every syllable. So, yeah, we it's uh, again in the body and and doing something specific and having objective and remember that you're acting just because you're behind a microphone in a padded studio doesn't mean that you're not just like any other actor who might be on set and having to do Mm -hmm. all of these things that you would be required of you on a play or in a TV series or in a movie. It's you know, we are acting and creating fully imagined and committed circumstances for ourselves. We just don't have the props and the location to support it. Right. Um, I wanted to ask you, is there have has there ever ever been something this doesn't have to be vocally. I mean, you talked about, you know, you the 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 DQ tree being something that you felt was the weakest, but was there ever something whether performance-wise or because of the vocal uh commitment or choice that was happening um that was difficult for you and you felt like this is a real challenge for me whether it's emotionally, vocally, physically, was there something that sticks out to you as something like, man, this is just a tough one. I don't know if I can do it or I'm having a real hard time for this. Uh, Rivali is an asshole, let me tell you. Um, so I understood him way better by the time we went to Age of Calamity just because I knew more about the world. But when we first were recording for him, I understood him as being a showboater of someone who was convincing everyone that he was amazing at what he does. Uh, because I didn't understand yet that, no, 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 he had actually put the work in and he was confident because he had done the work and he had no reason to believe that Link had done the work because this dude just showed up out of nowhere. But because I didn't know that at the time, I really struggled with understanding the character's motivations and why he would say things a certain way and why he would be snooty but not an asshole about it. You know what I mean? Like, like the the word is is distrusting, not dismissing. You know what I mean? Um, Is that something you came up with or or a director helped you kind of come to the the I got to be honest. The first session or two of Rivali, I just handed the reins to the director and I said, guide me. Tell uh-huh. you, I am the horse. Just put the feedback on me and just turn my head where you want me to go and I'll, I'll do my best. And then once I felt like I actually understood what I was doing, he gave them back and let me take over. Um, but uh, he he led to me having a bit of an emotional breakdown because I was like, man, 
I want to give this character the performance that he deserves. I know I'm capable of it, but I'm scared that I'm running out of time or chances to do that before they move on to somebody else. And it was one of those real get-out-of-your-own-head moments where I had to be like, okay, well, if you aren't able to trust yourself, then you need to shut yourself down and, and become autopilot for the director and trust that they're going to take you where you need to go. And then when you feel like you have a better understanding, then you can take it back. Mm-hmm. which was a stark contrast to Age of Calamity, where by the time Age of Calamity came around, I could switch between Rivali and Teba. Like, you could have had me doing the same scene instead of one character at a time, and I would have been able to switch between the two quite easily. You know, something like that. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, physically, was definitely Noob Saibot in Mortal Kombat 11, because uh, for those of you who have heard... Noob Saibot is all the way down here. Now, I don't think that's a unique voice. I think any dude who has wanted to be a creature before has practiced doing a creepy voice. Now, it's can you do that for two hours straight? Because let me tell you, you do that for 30 seconds nonstop, and you're going, (laughs) (laughs) you know, yeah. Uh, that was ninja, actually half get, real. Get that ninja on standby. <laughs> ninja, I would drink six to six to seven full bottles of water during a two-hour session of that, and still have to take the following day off to rest my throat because Ooh. of it. Um, wow! But uh, probably the one that was unexpectedly the hardest. Are you? Did you watch ReZero? Yes. Did you see all of season two? Mm, yeah, uh, yeah, I believe. Have so, Have you yeah. seen at least? Have you seen the scenes with his parents? Yes, 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 yes. Okay. That fucking sucked because that was saying goodbye to my mom a second time and preparing or practicing to say goodbye to my dad, mm. um, who is still around and we're in a wonderful relationship. But when you're someone who's already experienced losing an important family member like that and yeah. not knowing or assuming you'll never see them again, um, getting to do it twice with people who are both alive and or dead uh, is not fun. Mm. Um but but I also, in a dark way, found it fun because I was like, man, I get to take trauma and turn it into quality yeah. acting. So yeah, that's a, that's a very interesting line within this job because it's like, especially when you're doing something, it's not like this isn't like something where they're like, all right, get the stand in and have them do the scene that I don't feel comfortable doing. You know, there's, <laughs> you know, it's like, dude, could you imagine if we could hire vocal <laughs> stunt doubles? Right. <laughs> we're we are the people. We are the people that uh, who voices Wolverine. Um, uh, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, f- f- fucking um. Tsunami, uh, uh, Steve Bloom. Oh my, no, 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 not Steve Bloom, uh, 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 in like the live action films. Oh, uh, Hugh Jackman. Hugh Jackman. We, yeah. we are the stunt doubles that Hugh Jackman calls in when he doesn't want to do the voiceover, uh, revisions for certain scenes. Yes. I know because I know the dude who was responsible for recording his fight efforts. Oh my so. gosh. I guess, yeah, when you're a celebrity, you have that kind of liberty. But at the level of, of anime and certain video games, this is not something that is of a regular We're practice. Gonna, we gotta, we got to combine that. It's celebrity. Yeah, celebrity. Yeah. We could get a, get a business started. We'll start our own agency of, of you uh, go. moments you don't want to voice. That's what we take care of. <laughs> but that's, you know, I, I, I totally understand. And that's got to be very challenging. And I, I, and I, I truly empathize for, you know, having to go through that. But I often find uh, if you can get through it, most people are – you're finding extremely authentic performances if it's not mm-hmm. you know, creating some sort of emotional block if you're able to commit to it because um, 
when when you've ex- experienced something like that in your life, I think there's you can't really describe that feeling. I think you experiencing mm. it, and there's an intricacies and there's a nuance to what life feels like. I mean, I lost my father, and I I, I understand a bit of what that feels mm-hmm. like. You know, I I mean, I I do understand what that feels like, and it's not something I could really easily. I couldn't write it on a spec sheet like act this way. You know, there's right. so much nuance to it, and and just because you might think it's supposed to be one way doesn't mean that it actually would. Be be that way you know some people get very right everyone processes emotions differently some people laugh because it hides the pain some people cry because they just can't keep the emotions bottled up inside some people get angry because they find it as unfair and unjust Mm-hmm. So. And, and the choice that you make, especially maybe more so in like a, a Western animation or like a prelay job where you have the freedom to kind of make the choice right. that you want to, not really in a dub where you're kind of, you have the, the bumper lines where you have to say, okay, this right. is where we're going for. But, you know, that's where you might find yourself creating a really interesting experience like that. I mean, I experienced that in, in Lost Judgment to a degree where, you, you know, a very similar kind of moment with your, your parents and, and things like that. And, uh, I was like, oh no, I'm doing, I'm doing my version too much and I need Mm -hmm. to get back on track to the, you know, what, what was there in the Japanese. So, uh, you know, it's, it's an interesting thing when you have real life experiences and, um, if you can incorporate them into your art, great. Um, some people can't and that's fine too. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. What about nail in the head? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What about for you in terms of like a job that was? I mean, we talked about obviously Zelda, but was there something that when you got to work on that you maybe didn't know about and you found out about it through maybe a a code name or something? You were like, "Holy shit, this is what this is." I mean, that that was it was Zelda. Like the only other one that I remember that was codenamed was was Mortal Kombat 11. I was like, "Oh shit." Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, but Zelda was the one because when I did the initial reads, no idea whatsoever. I actually, because of the code names, I thought it was a Dragon Quest game because I had been <laughs> in the middle of playing Dragon Quest XI uh, S, and I was like, oh, these names, these sound like, oh, they want a mid-Atlantic accent. Oh, this this sounds like Dragon Quest with the the slight faux British, you know, accents. Yeah. Um, it wasn't until I got the callback and one of the characters included, uh, I, I think it was called something like Really Big Plant. Um. And originally, like, my thought was, hmm, okay, you know what reminds me of a really big plant? I'm probably going to do the, – the voice inspiration was actually Hive Mind from, from the Halo franchise. Oh, sure, Because yeah. I remembered the giant worm thing that spoke very low and slowly. Um, but then as I thought about it, I went, really big plant? Wait, what do I know that would – No. Because there was no precedent. There was no precedent. Um, and then I, because then I thought it was like, he says, he says, Luke, what if Luke isn't, what if that's not his name? What if it, <gasps> like that was, that was more, yeah. so, so when I was doing the callback, they, they wanted to schedule it with me. But during the time I was visiting my now wife, then girlfriend, it was one of our only long distance visits for the year. And I came up and I went, hun. I think I know what this is for, and if I'm right, there is no way I want to do this callback remote via a laptop on Wi-Fi when I could go in studio and have as much chance as possible. And she goes, so you're going home? And I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm flying home, like, today. Because we still had, like, three, four days left of the week visit. Oh. She goes, okay, okay. Um, I hope you book it, because... Yeah. 
I'm breaking up with you if you don't. No, she she was she was she was joking. Yeah, I'm pretty sure yeah, she was yeah. joking. But <laughs> but it that was just the moment for me where it's like I remember that I got the notification that I had booked the the roles as I was about to walk into a smash tournament. Um oh and that's God. the funniest thing was because this was a local in California. I'd been doing smash tournaments for like a year, a year and a half at this point when when Smash 60 uh uh not smash ultimate um uh super Melee? smash brothers no, really? um 3ds and wii u it was, it was called super oh. smash brothers for 3ds and wii u yes and i remember i was about to walk into a local where i knew like 80 percent of the people there because i'd been interacting with them so much and now i'm just standing here in the parking lot going you can't tell anyone you can't say anything <gasps> They're going to ask how you're doing they're going to ask what you're up to they're going to ask if you've been doing anything cool and you just <laughs> need to go nah you know just Keeping busy, doing mm-hmm. my thing. You need to you need to stay focused on your tournament. You have to play the same way that you've always played. Oh my god, what if I fuck this up? What if it sounds just as bad as the CDI games? I'm not excited about this at all. What if I'm the reason why they decide to never voice a Zelda game again? <laughs> <laughs> Hi, yes, I'd like to enter my Mega Man, so... <laughs> Are we our own worst critics? We are. We just. We just try to demise ourselves for absolutely no reason. But I understand that same concern. I have it all the time. Um. I. I really have to ask the dying question I have right now is: Who do you play in Smash? Uh, I main Mega Man. Ever since I did Lucas back in Brawl, uh, just because yeah. he was the one that I enjoyed the playstyle of the most. But the minute that I saw that Mega Man was going to be in Smash Four, I was like, "That's it. That That's I, it. I'm maining him. I don't care if he sucks." I'm going to make them seem good. There's definitely way, 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 way better Mega Man players than myself. But I do pride myself in in my own weird, unique play style, being able to hold my own against uh, people fairly well. So wow. I'm mostly, yeah. I'm largely inactive at this point, again, because of the work stuff. Sure. But I made a lot of really cool connections, and it's a really good community out here. Yeah, no, I, I used to play Melee competitively when I lived on the East Coast. In oh, the shit! Area. Yeah, I used to play... Pretty heavily, I was a, a, I in '64 I played Pikachu and Jigglypuff, and then I played Sheik um, in Melee, mm-hmm. and I was a pretty hardcore and Ice Climbers um, back in the the days when wave dashing was something that you, you it was a necessity right. in order to play the game. But uh, I never really got too into Brawl and Ultimate, just life and, and and things. But you know, I love that scene. I love that community. Um, I used to play in New York too. Like I was like there was like a, a, a Smash Brothers club for NYU, and we would uh, play in the basement of uh, I forget the name of the, the the Stern Building or whatever, and it was very mm-hmm. fond memories. Mm-hmm. Um, I miss I miss having the freedom of of doing things like that that I used to do. I recently got back into playing like Magic the Gathering and I'm uh-huh. experiencing again like those moments of um having a bit of a life outside of um the career which is great. But you know, like having like doing the recreational things is is there something like that that you I mean you're you're streaming a lot. Is there something you've been enjoying streaming a lot lately? It's weird because streaming okay, so what's funny is the game and it's almost like i'm punishing myself now because oh. all of the games that i'm streaming right now we're doing the mega man battle network collection uh-huh. the uh, the legacy collection just came out i'm finally playing mega man x command mission which i had had for over a decade and never touched uh we just started labyrinth of zangetsu which is this beautiful like japanese calligraphy art style dungeon crawler um, next month we have Fuga Melodies of Steel 2, which is an underrated game from CyberConnect that not enough people are playing. And oh. then in June we have the Etrian Odyssey Origins Collection. 
All of these are games that I would gladly play for 12 hours a day on my own, but because I want stream to experience them, and because I don't want to do anything without them experiencing it with me, I'm not able to play them unless it's on stream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But at the same time, even though stream for all, and I've been open with my community about this, even though stream is the number one contributor to me not having personal time anymore, Mm. um, which harkens back to what we said at the very beginning about always being on, always being connected to your audience, you know, at all hours of the day. There are games that I never would have gotten around to. That kind of thing where it's like, well, I have it, so someday I can play it, you know, when I'm interested. But you know, you know you're never going to actually make the time for it because it's there, because you can go to it any time. So you keep putting it off, you keep putting it off. So there are games I never would have gotten to experience that because of stream schedule, because of the obligation of doing something on stream, I got to experience and had a really good time with. So there is there is that trade-off there. Um, yeah. In terms of what I like to do in my personal time, I'll be honest, uh, the most I've gotten to do is Pogo.com. And I don't mean Pogo, I don't mean Pokemon Go. I mean the middle-aged divorced housewife minigame bejeweled solitaire site, Pogo.com. Oh! Huh. Um, <laughs> Fun! It, it, to do like challenges and dailies and weekly things on there because that's it's it's one this is what you talk about when you have people who are like well I ju- I can just pick it up for five to ten to fifteen minutes and then go on with my day and that sort yeah. of thing. Um, <laughs> uh, I have fun with it. I don't know. I'm sure. I'm sure you have that thing where it's like, yeah, I actually don't have as much fun with this as I could be with doing something else, but I just have to. Because yeah, that's like working out for me. I mean, I do it every day, but right. I, I'm not. I like I go to the gym every day, and ev like I. Like they said it gets easier. Yeah. The liars. No, you know I I have been, I was like a, I'm a career runner in my life. I've run, I would say out of every year I go running like at least minimum 300 days out of the year. I go like. Every year, and every single time I put my running shoes on, every single time I step out of the door, I say to myself, I don't want to do this. But when I start doing are you gonna, it... Are you going to download the new Marvel run thing that's coming dude, that out? that thing seems fascinating to me. I was like, I don't know who, like, what the inception was for creating that thing, but that seems, it seems so I, awesome. I actually played the one, the, the, the company that did that came out with Zombies Run prior to that. Is it a game? And when I... Yeah, well, it's literally like... Uh, uh, also, did I? Did you want to continue? Did I no, cut you no, off go before ahead. you? Were... I'm not important so, here. This is so your I did this <laughs> when I was actually walk or doing some exercise during the pandemic because I was bored out of my skull. Um, the way that Zombies Run worked is it was an audio drama. It was uh-huh. an audio drama like explaining like, oh, you're part of a camp that's you know trying to to build resources. Imagine like Last of Us or The Walking Dead or something like yeah, that. Yeah. But each each of the episodes is structured as something that you are involved in. So, for example, maybe episode two is, hey, we saw that there's a, a supply outpost about a mile out this way um, that we if we get those resources, maybe we can get this generator running back at the camp. Um, or maybe you're you're checking out a warehouse and then you see that there's zombies that you have to be quiet about. And the, the game kind of mixes in moments of regular running with walking, with hard running. So, for example, you know, maybe oh. 30 minutes maybe thirty minutes into the audio drama, it would say, <clears throat> oh, shit, the zombies noticed... Sorry, I inhaled air wrong. <laughs> <clears throat> They'd say, like, oh, shit, the zombies noticed us. We're going to have to pick up the pace. And though, so for, like, 45 seconds from that point, the game expects you to start running 
you know, it's all self-imposed. It yeah, wants yeah, you yeah, to, yeah. although I think the phone might actually be able to track your traveling speed. So if you half-ass it, it'll be like, oh, Pick you failed, up. do it again. <laughs> oh, so yeah, I wouldn't, too. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if like on the Marvel thing, it does it something where it's like, you know, uh, uh, Tony Stark is taking you on a tour of the city and then all of a sudden, you know, the bad guys blow up a building and he sees it starting to fall towards you and he's like, we have about 40 seconds to get out of here before we get crushed. Go, go, go. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. That's kind of, it's kind of brilliant. I also just can't get out of my head, like, if you're doing, like, a Spider-Man one, he's like, all right, we're going to whip sling here and you're going to, like, parkour over that bench right in front right? of you. It's like, I only see the danger aspects and elements to something like this. But I'm sure it's great. I'm sure it's been quality. <laughs> yeah, Marvel, Marvel parkour didn't take off as well. A lot of broken phones uh, came out of that one. <laughs> yeah, right? Oh, my gosh. Oh, no, Peter parkour. Brilliant. Peter Parkour. Oh, wonderful. Brilliant. Oh, man. Well, I, I want to talk quickly about the, uh, a couple of things, too, before I let you go. Um, I, I, okay. I, so we, we talk about, you know, how we were talking about how Zelda really paved the way for kind of this landscape of gaming that has become, you know, now like the Genshin Impact model, which you've also had the wonderful, amazing pleasure to be a part of. And your character is I great. almost turned down the Genshin gig, too, because when I, when I saw the example backgrounds and artwork, as as someone who had just finished with Breath of the Wild, I remembered looking at that going, am I going to get in trouble for being on this? <laughs> like, am I breaching a contract somehow? Is there a non-compete? Right? So, oh my gosh. It's, I mean... <sighs> It's it's the inspiration is just uncanny, and I think any of the developers would admit that a lot of what is is in these I, games. I'm glad that I eventually realized, like, I'm not the art designer, I'm not the background designer, I'm just yeah. there to do a role. It's not my responsibility if it ends up looking similar to something else. But of course, as you were saying. Yeah, no, I, I just think it's a... Uh, I, I really enjoyed playing the game. I've had so many of, you know, the cast members of, of the series on. Uh, your character, D-Luke, was one of the first characters, uh, my cousin and I, when we were playing it, we would constantly re keep, keep recreating accounts until we got mm -hmm. a D-Luke because it was such a broken character in the beginning, like, of the games. I'm sure I haven't played it in a while. Apparently, he's still relevant. I was like, that's uh, amazing. I, apparently, Hu Tao does more damage but Diluc's synergy is just so good that yeah. he's still a mainstay in a lot of people's teams. It's crazy. I mean, we just kept re-rolling until we got one, and then my cousin eventually got one. I was so mad um, because he's such a good he's such a good character. Such especially in the beginning, he was such a great character when there's only limited um, heroes. Right. But your your performance is also just so amazing too. And I I, I wonder. I, was this something that you were just treating like any other job, or did that eventually have like an effect on how you were playing the character after you realized the success that the, the game was having? So I'm not upset at you for saying that, but I do want to emphasize something, because you said you bring up as part of, like, were you treating it like any other job? I hope to never treat any of the roles that I do as the next job that I'm doing. Um, it's part of how I keep yes. myself humble and keep the envy from getting from sight. Again, I'm not upset, but I thought it was important to set that distinction. Sure, um, yeah. The thing that, that terrifies me is for any job that I book, there's a hundred, maybe a thousand other people who all would have loved to have that gig that yeah. now don't because I took it. So the least that I can do is give a shit about what yeah, I'm working yeah. on and the world that I'm being a part of. Um, but for me, I... Uh, it was, I remember that the one thing that they were saying is, you know, even though this is an anime RPG, we're really trying to go for more grounded reads. You don't need to, you don't need to go over the top, you know, we'll let you know if there are bigger moments, but don't be afraid to just talk casually. Yeah. Um, now, I, I consider being casual 
or low energy a weakness of mine because um huh. I, I get re- i get no i really do i get excited about a lot of things and i tend to get very animated about things and so just being able to give reads that are relaxed and not really i, I think I'm, some directors call it like um if if everything is important then nothing is important um, like mm. if you're bolding, if you're emphasizing every other word, then what you're saying, you, there have to be words that you glaze over because it's not the main focus of the sentence, you know? Yeah. Um, so Diluc was interesting for me because uh, not only did I have to just <coughs> lower the energy that I had, my understanding of the character was that he was he's the guy who does stuff under the cover of night, you know? He yeah. goes out and he's nocturnal. So during the day, not only is he probably tired from what he's gone out and done during the evening, but he also has to keep a low profile. So it was very interesting, you know, playing a character who isn't as eccentric as Rivali, but still has that regal air about him. But I yeah. also have to make sure that I, I don't get into an explanatory where everything is a tutorial. It's this It's this very weird... Like, it almost makes me tired doing it because it's so different. (laughs) But I just, I kind of saw it as what if I approach it from just get into the introverted side where, you know, you know, maybe I understand that I have power, but it's almost kind of a Superman thing where, you know, I realize that my power is really good and I don't want to intimidate people. I just really care about the people of Mondstadt. So, you know, whatever you have to say or whatever situation I have to face, you know, I'm cool about it as long as it's not threatening the people that I care about. So, and I think that's where I found that strength is because in order for the calm guy to be really intimidating when he's angry, you have to be able to play him not being angry. So, yeah. I, 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 forgive me here, and, and, and I'm glad you, you uh, <coughs> went over that moment that I, I said because I think that's a wonderful thing to point out, and I think that's uh, anybody who's doing this career is... Um, it, 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 not to say like treating a, a job like it's less than another job, but to, the, the amount of effort and dedication and passion that is required to even book a job is you, you've got a thousand other people clawing at the gates right behind you that could just as well do the job. That oh, that means you have after. to run for the next 45 seconds. That's, that's <laughs> the next part of Zombies Run. Exactly. Um, just to emphasize that importance, and I, I, I'm seeing you here, not to talk a little too inside baseball, but I'm seeing a little bit of what I imagine how you break down character a little bit. Is this kind of a process you do when you look at a, a, a side or, or a breakdown or you get a script? Is this the conversation you're having with yourself in like the preliminary stages before you get into a, a recording? Again, this is how I don't know if I'm doing a good job or not. I, I still feel like I'm an impulsive person. Like, I'm a very visual learner. So the first thing I do is I'm looking if there's any character art. I'm looking if there's any reference images. Yeah. Um, and even before I look at the word specs, I'm looking at the character image going, what does he sound like to me? You know, if it's if it's the skinny nerd, do I, do I see him as someone who sounds like this? Or do I see him as someone who sounds like this? Or do I see him as someone who sounds like this? You know, like, you know, is, is there something about his design that speaks to him speaking a certain way? Absolutely. And I almost... I almost kind of treat that as do one for you and then do one for the client where yeah. before I even look at the words on the page, I'll look at the image and see what he sound or imagine what he sounds like to me and do that take, get that out of the way. And then I'll actually read the copy, read the specs and go, oh, okay, this is, you know, they want him to sound like this. He has this personality. Okay. I'll do that for take two and see if yeah. it sounds different from what I did before. Um, but it's as much a blessing as it is a curse because the same 
golden retriever energy that makes me able to just get up and go and do it when an audition comes in instead of thinking about how I might not have a chance. Mm. Also, I feel leads me at times to be too impatient to where I'm not giving the copy the time and dissection that it deserves. Mm. So that is something that I'm trying to work on and improve or at least get better about making those decisions on a quicker basis and and uh, ingraining it in muscle memory so that I don't have to spend as long figuring it out because it's also time out of my busy schedule every single time. Yeah, that's um, it, it's a very interesting negotiation, but I really do like what you said there, and I think it allows for you to create a performance that doesn't become dictated by what you think the client wants, not to say that that is what you are doing or what you would be doing, right. but I find myself in situations, uh, it's hard to ignore certain things that are pointed out when you get really nose deep in like a spec or a script. It's like, there's some, there's such a key, there's sometimes there's key defining things or in a reference that you're like, oh, now I, I feel like if I don't honor this, I'm way off the mark. But when you kind of just take inspiration off of a photo, I, I really feel like that can be a really freeing process um, mm -hmm. if you're doing the one for me, one for them type of idea. Right. Yeah, so. it's it's yep. fascinating. Um, <sighs> yeah, it's 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 for me. I, I mean, I've been doing this for so long as of you, and we still are, we're sitting here having conversations about working on the things that you know we you most people are probably like, oh, they must just you know it just must be second nature for them. But it's it, it is such an ongoing battle and process mm -hmm. of figuring out what will create the best results or the most unique exult, uh, results as you get further along in your career. Mm -hmm. Um, it's 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 a special kind of weird balance because we need these jobs to pay our bills, but we can't let the desire to get the job so we can pay our bills <laughs> affect the performance we give because a a performance tinged with the energy of I really need to book this job. I really need this because I need the paycheck and I need the residuals. It reeks of it. It doesn't it yeah. doesn't just stain it. It reeks of desperation. Absolutely. It's, look how good I can do it. Look how angry I can make him when he's angry. Look how sad I can make him when he's sad. Please hire me. I'm good. <laughs> yeah, you got to save that for the classroom and for the workshop and for letting them. Like, All right, you got that out. Now let's let's create right. a character here and let's do what's right. All right, for the that's project. take zero. Yeah. We're gonna keep that, and then we're gonna do two more, and then we're gonna come back and throw that one out. Exactly, exactly. Oh man, well, Sean, I, I this has been such a, a, an amazing conversation. I'm so happy I got to talk with you. I, I really do, honestly, believe you are one of the ta most talented actors in this business. I, I look at your work and I just see such a nuance and i re that passion really leaks into every character that you do do um it, it 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 goes without saying that i think you are one of the most dedicated to this craft and it's why i think you get booked and it's why i think most people i'm gonna say this and th i promise you this is a compliment mm -hmm. i was looking up things and i saw something about a character that you're uh in uh, uh the trail series uh i have trails uh reen schwarzer yeah Reen schwarzer and i saw a video and it was like I was just like looking up here before I was researching you and stuff. And someone was like, "I th I hate Reen Schwartz or whatever the character, or whatever, right?" And then I watched the video for a couple of seconds, and I'm like, "Okay, I want to see what this is about." And in the video, they're like, "Their only redeeming quality is how good of a job Sean does at 
his, like at his character. So it's like even in the discourse of somebody who just doesn't like a game or doesn't like a character, you know, because it's subjective. You're still doing like a badass job for someone to go. I respect this person so much and the dedication that they have. Well, maybe it's not for me. I still think that this person loves this character. I'm grateful that that uh, Hatsu, that the person who was in charge of the localization direction, was willing to let me uh, adapt Reen the way that I did because Reen is easily my longest running role that I've done for sure. stuff. Although that may finally be coming to a close with Reverie. But I knew early on that I was like, hey, this guy goes through a lot. Yeah. You know, he's this kid. We we joked about the fact that in the course of two, three games, he goes from being a student at a military academy to commanding his own group of students who could die if he doesn't do his job correctly yeah. at the age, at the tender age of 18 and a half. So... Um, people can hear it as as I went through the games. There were things that I got better at, and there's things I got worse at. Uh, until I found a happy medium. I tell people in game one, my battle callouts, awesome. My storylines, a little kitschy, a little a little tropey. Huh. In game two, I got way better at my story delivery. They weren't so like anime tropey anymore. But for some reason, the battle lines, I was so focused on not screwing up the story stuff that I like don't know what happened to the battle lines. It's weird. If you play the second game, you know, Reen, Reen will sound like this during the storylines, and then he'll have a battle call out where he's like, second form, Gale! It's like way <laughs> deeper for no discernible reason, and I don't know why I did that. Um, but then game three and game four, you know, we found a happier balance, and I'm really excited for how Reverie's gonna come out because it feels like as the games came out, I was getting better as an actor. I was getting better yeah. as a performer. I was able to add more nuance. But most importantly, I love that I had the freedom to, in game one, he's a student. In game two, he's been isolated from his friends, and he has to, like, interact with a lot of people that are older than him. He feels very out of place, and he's dealing with all of these sudden changes in his life that he doesn't know how to cope with. Mm -hmm. In game three, he's an instructor. Very important distinction. He is no longer a learner. He is now a teacher. There yeah. are completely different energies to that type of character. In game four, he's more of a rogue mercenary. You know, he's so uh, distracted by the internal struggle that he's going through that he's not even capable of helping anyone, much less himself. And there's that internal battle. So being able to shift from being the, the bright-eyed student in the first game to the very worried student in the second game to the instructor in the third game, who I imagine if you've been through war and you've had to do things at the Chancellor, you're you're naturally going to sound a little deeper, a little more gravelly just because you don't have the same spirit yeah. to being someone in the fourth game who's very, you know, worried about everything and wondering if he should even bother to exist. Just these subtle changes that still make him, they sound like him, but yeah. if you play the first game's Reen and you play the fourth game's Reen, they do not sound the same, even though it's the same character, but it's deliberate, and I'm very happy that, for the most part, people really liked that development of the character over the course of the franchise. Yeah, I know. I, I hear you being critical of yourself, and I think it's hard to not be as an actor when you know, like, I could have done this or I could have done that, but I think that probably lends for a really enjoyable experience as someone who's following all these games and seeing this character mature, and even for things that you might think, like, oh, he's being, you know, uh, like, tropey or whatever it might be, or sticky in this one, and 
but as a young character or as a young kid, maybe that is right, right for the character. And I think as an, an right. audience member to stick around, that becomes like really cool to be like, yeah, I'm growing right. up with this person as they experience life and hardship in the world. I think that's got to be a, a really um, awesome thing to experience. So, I mean, it, it, I, I, I love you. your your reverence of, of really just being like, yeah, yeah, I know where this and that, but I really do think. No, I really, I really appreciate it. I'm very proud of what I've done for roles like Green Schwarzer, and I'm, I'm grateful that the love and care that I try to put into those performances, mostly because I don't want people to think I'm a has-been, uh, have also <laughs> led to folks being like, I really appreciate what you did. Yeah. I like what you do. And and like you said, this is another one of those bridging moments. You know, I respect you immensely as a colleague. I love the energy that you bring to the stuff that you've done, even if we haven't interacted in person a lot. But since being here, being colleagues in this moment, sharing this experience together and hearing you say, you know, I'm a big fan of your work. I love what you bring to the industry. That's another bridging moment. That's another one of those little reminders that maybe I do happen to belong here. And in even if maybe I think I could do better in impressing clients or studios, the fact is undeniably that I am having a positive impact on colleagues or people who look up to what I'm doing and say, I want to do that someday. And 10, 15 years ago, I was the guy looking at uh, Troy Baker going, I want to do that someday. Um, it, I, I think this will be a perfect moment to finish off because yes, um, at WeebCon, about three tables down from where I was, was Brad Swale, the voice of Light Yagami in Death Note. Yep. Brad Swale did not know who I was, but for... Uh, but about 15, 16 years ago, no, I, I, it would be 14 years ago, because this was 2009. Okay. But 14 years ago, as my audition at AX Idol 2009, I recited Brad Swale's monologue as Light Yagami in the warehouse towards the end of the series when he finally has his breakdown and says, yes, I'm Kira. Do you know why I did what I had to do? His performance inspired me and got me to, to replicate it, which got me into the finals, which won me the finals, which got me the chance to start working with Bang Zoom, which kick-started my relationship with the first company that I started doing consistent work with in California. And how crazy is it that the first time I got to say anything to Brad about this was not while I was still a fan and he was the professional. It was when we were colleagues at a convention, both as guests, even though I had been inspired by him. Yeah. And I think forward thinking, I'm like, all right, Sean, even if you think, even if you want to believe that you still have to prove yourself to clients, you already know that there are people who are going for voice acting today because of what you do. So at the very least, give them reasons to be excited. And oh, if nothing man. else, that's why I'll keep doing this because I hope someday there's some person who I'm sharing a colleague table with who comes up and says, hearing you as Draken made me feel like such a badass that I wanted to be, I wanted to do that too. That's where my journey started. Undoubtedly, it will happen. And you absolutely, I mean, I, I really do appreciate your, your humbleness about it, but you, um, you really have inspired so many people and it's so exciting to see 
especially now because social media is, is, is available, how many people are passionate about this industry and working in this industry. Um, <coughs> you've been a part of so many prolific titles and genres of anime, video games, and all this stuff that um, I, I can't imagine that that moment hasn't happened. And if it, and if it hasn't, then I, I can't. I can't not imagine it happening at a very soon moment. I mean, it ha- it's to me to an extent. I mean, I really do look at all of my colleagues and people like you, and I'm inspired every day to, to work that much harder because I know there's someone like you, Sean Chiplock, who if you had this opportunity in front of you, I know you're killing it. I know you're killing it. And the only reason that I might get it over you is because the director might just think like, ah, I kind of like that more than this because I know there's just people out there that are, are pouring yep. their, their, not their heart and soul, in every sense because sometimes we audition for uh you know just right. goofy things it's it's not always like blood sweat and tears but you know you're giving it your all so um i, I have just imme- immense respect for for people like you and thank you for coming on the show and sharing everything with yeah. everybody it's been a real pleasure to to get to know you intimately and uh yeah i'm just excited for you and for all the amazing things to come i mean playing pl- and i'm gonna say i want to end on this i played crisis core i have to say like uh, uh, dirge of cerberus the whole world right. of final fantasy i had Damon on a couple weeks ago, and I was like, I have Sean Damon on. Damon Mills? Yes, uh, yeah, I had, uh, yeah, so, he's like. so stupid talented. I, every time that man reaches into his baritone bass range, I'm like, <laughs> where? How? What? Are you single? You, <laughs> you guys complimented each other so wonderfully, and that, di- that dynamic between you both was just, mwah, chef's kiss. And I'll end it on I, saying that it really made that an experience for playing another game in this series that is so... I mean, beloved to me, I'm just such a fanboy as I destroy the Moss Immune <laughs> out of Sephiroth's hand. Uh, no! You know, um, it is so near and dear to me. Um, I just really enjoyed it. And uh, thank you for all the hard work you do and did and all to come. Thank you for being one of the hundreds of reasons why I get excited about this craft every single day. <laughs> And my... one of the biggest threats to my future if I don't keep my game up. <laughs> I'm coming for you, dude. No. Right? Uh, everybody, thank you so much, Sean. It has been an absolute pleasure, honor, and I hope we get to see each other at a convention sometime I hope we soon. get to work together, motherfucker. That even I'll, more importantly. I'll... There you go. There you go. <laughs> All right, everybody. Sean, have a great rest of your day, your night, your evening, and get some well-deserved rest. Sean, it's been a minute since we have I have been matched in enthusiasm. Um, you know, he he considers himself the golden retriever, like a golden that golden retriever personality, and I never really thought to categorize myself that way. What am I more of? I feel like I'm more like a like a a, 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 a something with rabies. <laughs> I really do feel like he has the positive, like bright outlook of things, and I'm ready to do anything. I feel like I'm just scratching my neck at all five seconds. So we, I, I feel like we're in the same vein of uh, uh, of personality types, but I just feel like mine is more neuroses. Probably, um, I'm I'm making terrible blanket assessments of things. But Sean is fantastic and phenomenal, and I we, we didn't even get to talk about some of his like in, in depth about like uh, you know Nero and, and things like that, or um, so much of the stuff that he's been in. He's he's just all over the place. Another one of these actors where he really is. Um, in the Mount Rushmore of people who has been a part of things, and he's truly worked his ass off. I mean, uh, that clip is available to see um, uh, of his anime expo audition, and um, it's 
this is a very competitive industry. It is so competitive. It is so competitive. And there's tons of people who sound like protagonists where, you know, like this is it's it. There's most young guys have that kind of quality to a certain degree. And it all goes to show you how much more important it is to be a good actor and to care. Um, you know, Crispin said it, I think, in, in his episode. It's like, you got to give a damn. It's got to start there. You got to give a damn. And God does Sean give a damn about every little thing he puts his 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 voice to and, and his lends his talent to. So um, make sure you guys follow him in the links. We'll have it all linked everywhere because I know uh, he, he's got another account here. So please check out his social media. Follow Sean and follow us. Like, subscribe. It just helps people get to see these videos and allows us to do what we do. Because, you know, I'm working my butt off. Keith's working his butt off. We're doing this together. And we want more people to hear, listen, watch, and hopefully inspire them. So, um, yeah. Thank you guys for watching. And we'll see you on the next one. Bye.